0: If you're tired of achy joints and sore muscles, you need to visit PapaandBarclayCBD.com slash hot coffee for high-quality CBD products that are great for muscle recovery. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, or maybe you're stressed and get headaches like me. Maybe you want to improve your skin health. Well, for all of the above, Papa and Barclay can help. They're clean and natural products aimed to provide you relief in this stop-and-go life. They're transparent about their sourcing and testing, so you can be sure there are no residual chemicals or nasty ingredients in your products. Your wellness is important. Rethink your health by visiting slash hot coffee to get 25% off your first order and start feeling better. That's slash hot coffee. Yeah, there was a point where I
1: was sitting in the hospital bed and they were like, hey, you know, either have this kind of cancer or that kind of cancer. One has a 90% chance to live, one has a 30% chance to live. You know, again, I remember sitting in the hospital room and I'm just like, this is unreal, right? And so I pointed to a few things, one, my faith. And then two, there's that group around me at Dolphins that that really had my back along with my wife, Ashley. And it was, it was interesting because at the hospital room, we were literally having a party of people in that room to the point where they had to start kicking people out because there were so many people that were, there to support
0: me. Welcome to hot coffee, cold beer. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks with the LA Lakers Clippers and Kings on this podcast, we'll sit down and share a hot coffee or a cold beer with those who have made a name for themselves working inside the highly competitive sports industry. All of the content heard today is solely reflective of the independent reporting by hot coffee, cold beer and our team and does not reflect the opinion or feelings of AEG, Staples Center, the LA Lakers Clippers, Kings, or Sparks. Today we sit down for a specially-bought beer with Vice President of Premium for the Los Angeles Clippers, Joel Adams. Joel and the Clippers are in the beginning stages of opening what is currently being referred to as IBEC, Inglewood Basketball and Entertainment Center, a state-of-the-art, one-of-a-kind new stadium project. In one of the most coveted job opportunities of the sports industry, the Clippers are now hiring a premium team that will open the team's new home in 2024. Joel started his career in sports as a two-year intern for the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes of single-A baseball, followed by stints with the San Diego Padres, Cleveland Cavaliers, Miami Dolphins, and now three years with the Clippers. You'll hear about a unique sports friendship that has elevated Joel's career path and why the Clippers' signing of Kawhi Leonard was a meaningful homecoming in Joel's story far beyond basketball. Joel relives a frightening time in his life while battling a tumor near his ear that would eventually take his hearing and Hodgkin's lymphoma at the same time, which gave Joel at one point a 30% chance of survival. Luckily, Joel is here to tell his story today and tell the story of a growing LA Clippers basketball brand. Joel, I'm really excited to to share one with you here. Uh, Listen, what the Clippers are doing in the city and specifically with Steve Ballmer and, and Gillian Zucker, as soon as they got involved, it's just really changed around the state of the franchise. I'm like, I'm getting pretty passionate about the Clippers myself, just having been inside the building a little bit. And I'm a lifelong Lakers fan who's grown this affinity for the Clippers and the, everything that you seem to be doing off this on the side of the business. It's going to be a sad day for me in, in 2024 when you guys uh leave, leave the nest and, and build your own arena and whatnot. But in the meantime, it's really nice to have you. Do you have a hot coffee or cold beer ready to go?
1: Brock, thanks, thanks for having me, man, um, and, and I'm excited to be here. I'm usually not a beer guy, uh, but I love the name of your ep- your your podcast so much that I, I went and bought a beer for this for this episode, and I have I have a beer, uh, so it's you know it's it tastes good. I like it. Maybe I'm a beer guy now.
0: You bought one beer just specifically for this broadcast because if you did, you're my hero. Well, I bought, I bought a six pack, you
1: know, but, <laughs> but I, but I, I'm having one of them now. So, you know, I did buy them for your podcast.
0: Let's get into what will be a sad day for me. Happy day for the city and happy day for the Clippers. It, it, as we alluded to a little bit in 2024, the Clippers are, are branching off. They'll have their own arena and, and they'll leave the, the Staples center. And what we're calling it now is the Inglewood basketball entertainment center. What can you tell us about IBAC and about the new arena right now?
1: Yeah, well I'd love to to go into a ton of detail um about the the new arena right now. I can't go into to a lot, um, as, as there hasn't been, you know, a lot of information released yet. But that being said, um, kind of like what you mentioned, we're really, really excited to to have our own arena. Um, and it's going to be opening in the 24, 25 NBA season, um, construction is actually going to start this, this upcoming summer. So, you know, it's not that far away. I know we say 24, 25, like it's like, Oh, wait, way down there. Like, you know, it's not that far away, especially working on some of the business plans for it's like, Whoa, right around the corner. Right. So small plug for me though, we're, we're hiring a, 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 small premium suite sales team and, um, you know, we're currently going through the interview process. So if any of your listeners want to want to chat about it, please let me know. My email is uh, jadams at clippers.com. But, yeah, we're we're really excited to to get going and, and have our own arena. I would think
0: that opportunity is is really unique for a couple of reasons. It, it really combines like the new stadium feel with a rising team. Sometimes in our industry, you will see these beautiful stadiums built for lower performing teams or, or, or sometimes that is the whole draw is the stadium. This is a beautiful combination of, of both, if you think about it. What do you envision that project really looking like? Or is there anything that we know of now as far as this is what it will look or feel like?
1: Well, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's going to be the, and I'm a little biased, I guess, but, you know, it's going to be the best arena in sports. Um, and, and having, you know, having it here in L.A., and, and doing it for a brand like the LA Clippers, um, and, and being next door to SoFi in, uh, the, the Inglewood area, we're just, you know, we're just beyond thrilled to, to get going on it. So it's going to be, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, be awesome to get going.
0: It's exciting stuff, man. There's probably a few listeners of our show who've listened to the past season of hot coffee, cold beer, and heard me introduce myself as a Clippers employee. So this is probably a good time to talk about the difference in, in our role. So, Basically, when the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, and the Sparks enter an agreement to play at Staples Center, they're also entering an agreement that that lets the building sell their premium suites, their club seats, some of the lounge products, and, and sell them all together. And so that's my job. But one of the brilliant things the Clippers did in the span of the last few years is you went out of your way to create your own premium team, something the other three teams haven't done. So you're talking about the high-end seating. You're talking about courtsides. And some of that restructuring has led to premium, your premium tickets and your season tickets have complete sellouts. That's got to be a huge win to carry over into a new building and into a new rebranding, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like we, we, you know, came came here a couple couple years ago, and we we're like, hey, I think there's an obvious um, there's an obvious opportunity to to add some some high level sales talent and and add a premium team that was just primarily really focused on the courtside side seating and the high-end seating and the center six locations, right? And so knowing that you guys really take care, you guys, when I say you guys, you know, AEG, um, take care of a lot of the suites, you know, we really thought that was an opportunity. And, and you know, we we did find a lot of success in being able to sell out the courtside seating, um, you know, even as we were getting up to the the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George free agency. Which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, but like you know that like even leading up to that, we saw a lot of success being able to take care of a lot of the 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 courtside seats.
0: We won't hold you to any one specific answer, but talking about the new project and what you're looking for when you build a team over there. So we don't know the details yet of we're just too early into it of what it will look like, what it will feel like, and I'm sure we'll blink and we'll be in 2024. But for now, what are you looking for in an employee that's going to bring something to the table? And help you create a home in that new Ibex center.
1: Yeah, there, there's a few things that that come to mind. Um, you know, I think first is is having some some successful experience selling premium suite leases, right? So you know they're going to be uh, amazing suites, and they're going to be you know it's going to be a luxury, and and selling that kind of item, um, you know, usually having some experience with that is is, is a pretty big deal. Secondly, uh, beyond that is is somebody who's who's willing to work really hard and, and kind of pound the pavement to, to meet a lot of people in L.A. to to, to sell out the the suites and the, the luxury products. So those are the two things that that come to mind.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the, the Kawhi Leonard and the Paul George moves for, for the Clippers because you're an L.A. guy who made it home after working, what, 10-plus years in the industry, you finally come back to L.A. So you're from Camarillo, about 50 miles outside of L.A. Kawhi Leonard is from Moreno Valley, which is about 60 miles outside of L.A., so Kawhi signs with your Clippers. That had to feel like an extra homecoming for you. I mean, we can talk trade stories, but I would love to hear about what was like the first thing you did when you hear Kawhi Leonard is coming home just after you came home.
1: Yeah, look, like you know, and I'll back up here a second and tell you tell you a quick story. But you know, I uh, I actually grew up a Clippers fan, right? So I I grew up going. My dad like year in, year out, bought these eight game mini packages to, you know, wash the Clippers and Staples. And, you know, I grew up and he would bring like his business clients and I would, he'd let me tag along. And, you know, I was the one getting, you know, Darius Miles um, <laughs> autographs, Keon Dooling, uh, Quentin Richardson, Lamar Odom, like, like that was such a fun and exciting team to watch that like I, you know, I was from the start, I was I was a, I was a Clippers fan. So when you when you mentioned coming back to, to L.A. and having a little bit of a homecoming as I was gone for a few years, um, that was it was cool to come back to L.A., but it was even cooler to come back and work for the Clippers and, and, and really satisfying, right? Um, so the second part of your question, I, I believe, was the the free agents uh, or, or, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard that eventually led to to Paul George. And, you know, I've been really lucky in a few situations in my career is that that wasn't the first one. I, I worked in Cleveland for the Cavaliers when LeBron James came back from from Miami. And that was, that was the craziest week ever that I, you know, worked in sports. And then, and, you know, I, you know, I got a ton of stories about that, but like, you know, then, you know, eventually I get get back here to LA, I'm like, this isn't going to happen twice, is it? You know? And then of course I hear all the rumors that everybody hears and like, you know, we're a potential landing spot for Kawhi Leonard. And, and, um, you know, it, it actually, you know, I, you remember like it was yesterday, but you know w- w- when it happened, it was it was like I think it was believe it was like Fourth of July weekend or somewhere around there, and we had closed the offices down for the holiday um, to to let the, the staff go home and, and everything like that. So you know we 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 signed Kawhi I believe it was at some point at night, right? Um, and I had gone to sleep at that point, and my wife hadn't, and and she knew about Kawhi Leonard. Before I did, and I was she let me sleep. She didn't even wake me up. Uh, So you know, uh, I wake up in the morning to like fifty or sixty text messages, and you know, it was it was crazy. It was a lot of fun, Um, but uh, you know, it's uh, it it was it was it was a crazy thing to have that happen twice in in my career.
0: I I can't tell if your wife is an angel for letting you sleep, or if we're supposed to be mad at her for not like interrupting the sleep to go, hey, this is a huge moment, but. Yeah, I remember that that time being, you know, NBA free agency is a wild time to work in the business because there's like this period usually, right, where it will open up sometime the first week of July and your whole calendar is booked off for that week because July 1st through 7th, you're not going anywhere. You're hoping your team makes a big splash. And so obviously we had it the year before when LeBron James signed with the Lakers. And then the following year, the craziness of Kawhi Leonard, and then the absolute surprise of Paul George joining him. And I remember it being, we were at the Staples Center all day, hoping that news would break, hoping that Kawhi would sign with either one. We were stoked if he showed up to LA. We didn't care if it, if it was with the Lakers or the Clippers. And then I got into bed. I'm ready to go to bed. I'm ready to pull a Joel. And he, Sports Center pulls up that it's like 11 p.m. and Kawhi Leonard signs. So a couple of my coworkers call me and go like, should we go back into the office? Like, what do we, what do we do? And then you check your email to find a couple of people that had been on the fence that day, finally go, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's sign the deal. So what a crazy experience for us to both have Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James stories.
1: Yeah, no, that's, it was an unbelievable week. And, you know, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of like great qualities to put on my resume uh, all the time. But one thing I can put on there is if you do have me work for you, I might bring a big fish when it comes to free agency, but you'll have to find out like, you know, you know, might happen a third time.
0: Does it happen in Miami? Did anybody big show up when, when you were there?
1: Um, You know what? Like, I would say Sue is pretty big, right? Nadalma An and Sue, like that's a big one. So I think he was like the big free agent that year too. Yeah, he was. So you you could say I've done it three times.
0: Other than you basically single handedly bringing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to the Clippers, is there anything specifically that you had your input on that you're just really proud of with your work with the Clippers?
1: Well, I think you know, um, you know, you look at at what, what I, I've been here. What about? about three years um and I think the biggest thing that I'm I'm most proud of is the the team that we've been able to to build um people that were there previously um, people that came came after and and you know you you look at it and it's a it's a pretty skilled group of of individuals um that have one generated great results two we come together as a team that you know really works hard, has a positive attitude and, um, you know, is is all around great, great people. Right. And, and, you know, to do that, like it's, it's tough. Right. And so, you know, I think obviously during the, during the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard um, time, we, we sold a lot of tickets, right? Like that's, that's, it's pretty assumed that you'd have high demand when you have really good players and a really good team, like we, like we did, but what I'm, what I'm probably most proud of, of this group is, is that we were first in the NBA in, in season ticket sales before free agency, right? And before all that happened, right? So um, we're, you know, huge credit to, to the entire group of, of having, a, having a really good year, but that's, that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of.
0: If I remember correctly, when you showed up to the Clippers, there was this really interesting change of the guard almost. Like you and, and and Jason Green, who we'll get to here in a minute, were brought on to just innovate the business a little bit and do very different things. What is it like when you join in a high capacity and you have an inherited staff? Like I have to imagine that in any scenario, and it sounds like you've done this a couple of times, there's some awkwardness between the old staff and the, the new staff. How do you make a smooth transition in a process like that? Because that seems impossible to do smoothly.
1: Yeah, well, you know, change is always hard, right? For for anybody at any level. Um, you know, that being said, like the Clippers were coming off a lot of really successful years with the the Blake Griffin era, the the um, you know, with Chris Paul, uh, I guess Lob City, you know, if you will, right? So you know, multiple years of sellout you know arenas right so um that being said like i don't think there was like anything that needed to be overdone as far as changes go um but there are there a few tweaks and things that we made along the way that maybe we've seen work at previous teams but you know we were able to do that over the last couple of years and, and and it kind of works seamlessly into um the results that we were able to produce and the, the people that we were able to develop
0: You've been working in sports for for quite some time now. You've been in the NBA, the NFL, and MLB, or as I call it, the trifecta. You like a challenge, don't you? I I say that because your career path isn't exactly paved with high-performing teams on the field or on the court. So before you got to our Clippers, you have the 2016 Dolphins as the only team you'd ever worked for that went to the playoffs. You're this icon in our industry. You've gone on 13 years, and you had been to the playoffs once
1: before this. Did that ever bother you? Well, you know, Brock, I know you mentioned once, but like it, it, it's now twice with the Clippers last year uh, and then the year before that. So like, you know, three, almost three times. Right. So, you know, I don't have a lot. So I got I got to take what I could get. Um, but look, like I think you hear in a lot of podcasts, you hear in a lot of, of, of sports executives talk about like you, you learn the most when you're working for a low demand team. Uh, you know, especially on the sales side, because you got to learn how to sell something that's hard to sell. Right. And so, you know, uh, you know, fortunately, like the first part of my career, like, you know, there were some challenging years in San Diego with the team on the field. Right. And so I had to to work a little extra hard. Right. I had to make an extra call. I had to I had to set an extra meeting to be able to to generate the results that were expected. Right. So, you know, all of that, you know, yeah. Is it fun to work for a really, really good team? Yes, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm having a blast right now. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know if I'd be here unless I went through the same years that I did with a low demand team. If that makes sense.
0: I want to talk about your sports friendship that you have here with, with Jason green. This is the coolest sports employee like relationship I've ever seen in, in our career a big part of your path is your friend, your colleague, your compadre, Jason Green. You've been able to do this really unique thing together where you interned at the same minor league baseball team. You're both working in season ticket sales for the Padres. Then you go to the Dolphins at the same time. And now here you are with the Clippers. Talk to us about the dynamic between you two.
1: Yeah, I think the word you mentioned there, uh, Brock, uh, is unique. You know, Jason and I have a A very unique relationship as as they're, you know, we worked for four teams, um, you know, Quakes, Padres, Dolphins, Clippers, like you mentioned. And, you know, whenever we introduce ourselves to a group of people, whatever, and we give ourselves our backgrounds of where we worked, like, I try not to follow him because otherwise it's kind of embarrassing. Um, but you know, all that being said, like, look, he's a he's a mentor he's he's my boss he's a he's a great friend of mine right and and um i owe jason a ton of credit um for any kind of success that i've had in in my career believe it or not like it, you know we started out as aes together on the sales floor cube to cube right and you know i was like i heard that guy on the phone i'm like that guy's pretty good and like, I asked, you know, I was like, I want to go sit by him. So I, I sat by him and he was, and I, I tried all of his lines because they were, they sounded so good And my, my versions weren't as good. Um, but eventually I got, I got good at, at, you know, kind of some of the verbiage that I, that I stole from him and eventually led to a lot of success on the sales side. Right. So, you know, you fast forward now a little bit. Uh, and by the way, like Jason will tell you, he outsold me every year, which is true. He, he, he generated more revenue, but I did win the sales MVP award at the end of the year that was voted on by our peers. So like, I got to say, you know, if he ever listens to this, like, you know, I got to take a little bit of credit, uh, away from him. Um, but anyways, you kind of fast forward that we're able to, to work on this project together, you know, the Clippers and now the new building, like, it's just, uh, it's pretty crazy. And I'm really lucky that, you know, he lets me kind of ride his, ride his coattails. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it's not for nothing. You're accomplished too. It's not like he's just piggy, letting you piggyback off him. You obviously have to do your own work, but man, I think about your friendship and I would kill to do what you and Jason do with, with my closest friend in sports is a woman named Daniela Baltazar who works for the Dodgers. And I just think about how cool it must be to be able to go around the country and take a, take a team and put your, you know, your imprint on it and, and make an impact and whatnot. It's gotta be the epitome of the, of the dream for sports friendship when when he's talking about moving or you're talking about moving how do these decisions happen so parallel is it something where one of you will decide hey i, I think i'm going to make this move and you two kind of collaborate or how does that all come together
1: that's a really that's a really good question i wish i could put them all in one bucket and say they all happened this way it was very strategic but it definitely wasn't they were all a little bit different right and you know i just go you know i'll, I'll go back to you know from san diego to to miami there was a you know, there were some ownership changes in San Diego and there was some change taking place. So, you know, some of the, the executives, uh, Jeremy Walls, uh, who's was the CMO uh, at the Dolphins and Tom Garfinkel went to, to Miami and, um, you know, they they pulled Jason with them. Um, and then eventually uh, after my my short stint in Cleveland, I was able to go go join them there. Right. So that wasn't as planned out as as maybe like, you know, going from Miami to L.A., like obviously like we're Jason and I are both from L.A., um, and it worked out to where we we had an opportunity in LA to to come home in a sense, right, and, and work for a work for a NBA team that that had some you know promotions uh, for our career on the line. So you know we we both we both made the jump, but you know again I wish I wish it was a more strategic effort that I that I had this great story for.
0: I, I, isn't it funny? That would be just so great if you could plan life like that. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. my, me and my buddy Jason are just, we first, we're going to do this. We're going to go work for the Padres. Then we're going to go to the dolphins together. Then we're going to do this, but it just, yep. it doesn't happen like that. And I think that's what makes your story so cool is that there are probably people like me listening to this that wish they could do that with their people. So it's just really cool. And I really admired the way that you two were able to build your careers together.
1: Yeah, no, it's really unique. Um, And again, like I've been really fortunate to work with him, you know, uh, you know, also alongside a few other people on a consistent basis when it comes to San Diego, uh, Miami, and now the, now the Clippers.
0: Joel, if if you'll brace us with some, some vulnerability here for a second, it's a heavy topic, but perhaps we don't paint the full picture of of Joel Adams and your story without telling this when you were with the Miami Dolphins, you were joking around with some friends about just having hearing loss. I think you you said in an interview that you were joking that you were getting old and that your hearing was going. Well, then you're smart enough to go to a doctor and they found a brain tumor and Hodgkin's lymphoma there. I'm blown away by that story. Like what happened there?
1: Yeah, I guess that's a that's a lot to take in. Right. Um, but uh, look, we've all we've all dealt with cancer in one way or another with with family and friends. And it's all really you know affected us personally at, at some level. Right. I just I just happened to, to have it myself. Right. And so what happened was kind of like what you mentioned is I, uh, had some hearing loss and my friends and coworkers were making fun of me. Like, yo, like, why, like, why aren't you hearing as well as you used to? And I was, so I'm like, I'm one of those guys that, you know, never went to the doctor unless I absolutely had to. And so I, you know, I felt like I, I needed to in this situation. I'm like, what's the deal? Like, and he's like, I don't. I don't know. You're like 30 years old and you shouldn't be having hearing problems. So what's, I I don't know, let's do an MRI. Right. And so I did an MRI and, you know, didn't think much of it. Right. And, and a couple, couple days later, I got a call and it was like a serious sounding voice from the doctor. I'm like, Oh, this doesn't sound great. And he's like, yeah, you know, he was trying to get me to come in again. And I'm like, doc, just tell me what's going on because this doesn't sound good. And he's like, yeah, you have a five centimeter, uh, large tumor, um, in your, your, your head and your brain, it's brain tumor. Right. And you don't, and you know, I don't know a lot about it. I just know I could see it on the screen. Right. And I'm like, you know, when you hear brain tumor, like, at least if you're me, like you hear, you think, all right, like, am I going to die? Like, you know, what's going on? Like, what's going to happen? Like all these things start, start rushing through head. So obviously I go in and I get checked out you know, I am, I do, even though it is a big brain tumor, you know, it's about the size of a tennis ball, right? It's been growing for about 15 years. It's very slow growing. Uh, They're like, Hey, we could have surgery. We could, we could take this out. It's non, it's not cancerous. Right. So you're, you're fine there. I'm like, great. So we're gonna have the surgery. It's gonna be gone. And they're like, the only thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna lose hearing your right ear. And I'm like, cool. Like, if that's the worst thing that could happen, like, let's do it. Like, like I'm in like, all right, month later, schedule the surgery good to go. Right. And then you kind of, I, I think it was like five days before the the surgery, I had to go in and get my, my chest checked because they were going to put me under. Right. So they want to make sure I was you know, healthy enough right there to, to take uh, anesthesia. Um, and they did an MRI on my chest. And then they realized, like, they called me that day. They're like, Hey, like you have a tumor on your chest too. And we don't know, we don't know much about it you just got to come in so i'm like are you are you serious <laughs> like like i just did this a month ago like this is happening again um, so i went in and i got you know i got diagnosed with uh hodgkin's lymphoma and um um so that's a, a form of of cancer and and um obviously it really scary but i wanted to knock out um or under the the, the doctor's direction knock, knock out the the cancer first which we did and I think it was two months, two months of chemotherapy, um, eight sessions. And, um, you know, again, had a really positive, uh, experience as far as like everything worked well, everything, you know, what, you know, the cancer went away and I was good. And I was cleared. So nine days, like they were asking me, they're like, all right, so now you have this brain tumor, right? So you gotta, you got you gotta take this out. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, great. Let's knock it out. And, and then nine days later, they scheduled the brain tumor. Um, surgery got that taken out. Was knocked on my ass for a month and a half recovering from that. But after that, you know, it was about four or five months of everything. Like I was able to to return to work um, and return to you know, normal, normal life. Um, right. And so, you know, a big credit, you know, uh, to around me as far as obviously my, my wife now, Ashley, um, you know, stuck my side it was a huge support system, but also the dolphins organization rallied behind me and, and, and made sure I had the best care and support out there. And, you know, not, not surprising with the the group of individuals there, but, you know, um, that's, that's really what, what got me through. And I, my heart goes out to, to everyone who's currently dealing with the situation, in which, you know, it's, it's, it's never fun.
0: That's such a brave answer, man, that, you know, I think a lesser man would look at the world like, why me? And in your, you get dealt one blow in in the tumor in your, your ear, in your head. And then there's a second one. And I mean, I wonder how many people aren't strong enough to make it through that. So the fact that you can and just take a step back to take a step forward is is really admirable. I, I was listening to a, a neurosurgeon talk about your case. And they said that you would have better odds of winning the lottery twice than having this exact double diagnosis. So at one point, you you it was believed you might only have a 30% chance of beating it. How do you stay positive? How on earth do you go through something like that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, yeah, there was a point where I was sitting in the hospital bed, and they were like, "Hey, you, you know, either have this kind of cancer or that kind of cancer. One has a ninety percent chance to live. One has a thirty percent chance to live." You know, again, I remember sitting in the hospital room. You know, again, this is all happening fast, right? And I'm just like, "This is unreal, right?" And so, you know, I pointed to a few things. One, my faith, um, and you know, prayed a lot, um, and then two, like, kind of what I mentioned before. It was that group around me at the Dolphins that, that really had my back along with my wife, Ashley. And it was, it was interesting because at the hospital room, I, we were literally having a party of people in that room to the point where they had to start kicking people out because there were so many people um, that were there to support me. And they're, you know, there to, to, to rally around me and to give me positive energy and, you know, everything like that. So, so again, like, I don't just say that to say it, like the people, you know, around me that gave me those thoughts and gave me them, like, Hey, you're going to fight through this. You're going to do this. Like, doesn't matter. Like either way, you're fine. Like that helped a lot. Like that, that was a big deal. And I, I think there's a lot of people that don't have that. Right. You know, that's why I, I would, I would encourage everybody who, who, who does have somebody going through a, a difficult situation to, to, to be that person. Um, sometimes you, you never know, uh, what, uh, what people need to hear. At what point do you have to get the dolphins involved?
0: Like, I'm sure work is so secondary at this point, but at what point do you have to give them a heads up that and create a plan for how you're going to either work through it or take time off?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close with a lot of my, um, um, co-workers and boss from the Dolphins. So I, I just remember we were in the office. And again, I, we don't know anything's wrong at that point. And Dave Baldwin, my my boss at that time, he, he was like, we had like a one-on-one schedule. We had a meeting schedule or something like that. And he was kind of asking me like, what's going on? Where are you? Like, you know, we are we, are we still meeting? And you know, I texted him back about um, the news I just heard, and he, you know, ran outside and found me, and you know, we both cried and like, you know, but like we were like, hey, we're we're gonna get through this and we're gonna figure it out, right? And so, um, if to answer your question right away, <laughs> um, and then um, you know, again, I was on multiple phone calls throughout that entire time, and you know, that I had the, I was able to to visit the dolphins, um, doctors, and and everything like that to 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 make sure I had the best. Best care, right? And so they were—they were so flexible to the point where I—I I was starting to get annoyed that I was out too long. You know, I think it was like a month after my brain brain surgery. I'm like, I have to get back to selling stuff and doing doing things that I'm used to doing. And you know, um, you know, luckily, luckily, I was I was I was able to give a little bit of a runway there.
0: Wow, really? Nothing can stop the Joel Adams motor, huh? <laughs> I guess I guess not. You said for a while that you wouldn't say the words "I have cancer." Why? Why is
1: that? I guess it's just something you you don't really want to believe. You want to assume like best case scenario, like this this can't happen to me. This is you know I'm I'm 30 years old, like you know I'm healthy and like there's no way, right? And and then it did because you think of cancer as being like maybe a you know happening to older people more more often than not, right? Or at least I did when I was there, and you know I wasn't really educated on it, and I, I just didn't want to believe it. And it took me a while to say it, but then I, um, but then I said it and I felt so much better, right? Because I, I was kind of like realizing the truth of the circumstance um, and it was just, uh, you know, um, it, it was a good thing to say because if I didn't and I didn't, you know, cry when I said it and like, you know, get all that out, then it would have it been tougher moving forward. It's, it's a really brave
0: story, man. It's really brave of you to tell it as well. I'm sure that can't be an easy thing to talk about. So good, good on you for being able to, to put it that eloquently. When you look at your fight with it in, in, now in modern times, is there anything, any lasting effects or any ways that it affects your day-to-day life now?
1: I can't hear out of my right ear. So yes, um, that does affect my day-to-day life, but it's really not that bad. It's not as bad as it sounds. Uh, maybe if I go in like a restaurant or something like that and there's some some music playing, it's loud, and it's like, all right, well, you know, I can't really hear much besides the person right next to me <laughs> on my left. Um, but that that that's probably... I think that's the only lasting effect, right? So it's almost been five years um, since, since, since everything happened. So I I know to answer your question, I think that's the only thing.
0: I'm glad you've overcome the things, these tough things in life that you have because what a series of events it's been for the Adams family coming up. So you make it through hell and now here you are with the Clippers performing at a really high level. You're a Dodger fan. The Dodgers finally win the world series. And then you and your wife welcome a, a, a baby into this world. So you're, you're a tough guy, my friend. And it's, it's cool to see the way that the world has rewarded you for the things you've been able to overcome, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I've been super blessed. I mean, um, being able to come home and, you know, get married and and uh, have, a, have a baby boy, Camden, you know, um, he's four months old. So um, working from home uh, during the circumstance is very unique and, you know, it's tough, um, right? But the one positive I could, I could take out of it is getting to spend more time with him. Instead of being on the the 110 freeway, I'm, I'm able to, to, to hang out with him um, on, on a more consistent basis. So I'm, I'm blessed for that. I'm,
0: I'm glad you're spending more time with Camden than you are with Kawhi right now. There's one <laughs> blessing there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: We, we follow this sales trainer and is uh, a former LA Clippers employee, actually uh, Paul Epstein, who had a, an illustrious career in the sports industry. And now he goes around the country, helping teams find their why, like, what is your central motivation? What is your why in life? So because mm-hmm. of that, We actually ask everyone who comes on the show the same question, but we just kind of got into some of it, but, you know, Joel
1: Adams, what is your why? Could I, could I give a few answers to that? Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Here's, here's the reason. Like, I feel like my answer to that question changes every few years or, or evolves, right? Um, you know, when I was a early sales rep inside sales, my why was to prove to people I could succeed at a high level. It was a very average, um. very average student. Like I had to try really hard to get bees. Right. I was a very average athlete. I had to try really hard to, like, I don't, I didn't make the high school basketball team. I, I love sports. Right. Like I had to try really hard to be good at, at athletics. And you know, I, I found something in sales that like, if I just tried really hard and got, you know, practiced it a ton, I could actually get good at it. Right. And so that's what, that was kind of my motivation at first was like, all right, I just want to prove to people that I can be really good at something. Right. And so that, that's kind of how, it, you know, that's really how it started. And then, you know, when I started to become, you know, a, a senior seller and doing it for a few years, I'm like, dang, like I, I'm actually getting pretty good at this through all my hard work and through all the people that I've copied and to, you know, all of the to some of the success that I've had. Maybe I could actually make some money and potentially buy some nice things. Right. And so it's like, all right, like this is cool. Like I could, I could buy that car. Like I could, you know, live in the place that I want to. Like, all right, I could get used to this. Right. And so that was probably my, my, my second motivation of my why, right? It's like, all right, I want to make some money, right? And that that, that was that was that was that part and and then I and I really moved on to to be a leader and a manager and I just remember it being like a genuine thrill to recruit and develop uh young sales reps and build a team right I I just I was on cloud nine being uh being an inside sales manager because I was able to give back to to people what I was given um in in San Diego the first three years right so like when I think of all my mentors and, and, and bo- old bosses, right? Like Jonathan Tillman, and now with Team Bo in the NBA, uh, Jeremy Walls, CMO of the Dolphins, uh, Dave Baldwin, like all, uh, Jason Green, like all those people, like I can, now, I can now teach what they taught me. Like how cool was that, right? And, and that, that really got me motivated and excited for the next part of, of my career. And now you kind of move on. And, 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 and now I'm looking at things like all that stuff still motivates me all those three previous things. Right. But like, now it's like, I'm married. Like I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful kid. Um, that's my why, like, that, that's why I'm, that's why I'm going to work really hard. That's why I'm going to go, go um, make sure that they're taken care of. Right. And so again, not to be um, like too traditional, but like, you know, that's, that's what it is. Right. And so I think all those things combined really, really make for, for my why. And you know, who knows, like in five years, it's probably going to be something different, right. Or some, it's going to evolve in some way.
0: Your, your why is actually, I don't listen to that answer and think it's traditional. You're actually the first person on our show to talk about how your why has just kind of grown through. Like you've almost said a why accomplished it. So you said a new one that that's how I interpret that answer. But. It, it, this has been really amazing stuff, Joel. Like, I, I love your story so much. I'm really, really stoked we got to tell it. B- before we let you go, we are going to do some quick hitters, some personal questions, just some rapid fire things. Uh, give us your first instinct, your first answer off the cuff whenever you're ready.
1: All right. You didn't prep me on this part, but, no. you know, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> right, uh, I'm ready to go. Go ahead. This this
0: is where you test me as a researcher and a pre-production man to see how well I was able to what I was able to find on you. There's no prep uh, for this. Okay. All right, Joel Adams Quick Hitters, here we go. Who is one LA Clipper who doesn't get enough credit?
1: One LA Clipper like on the roster now or previously? Let's go with right now. You know what? Like I think um I think Zubak get some more credit here and there like I, th- I think you know he's he's really in the minutes that he's played like he's played really well and you know I think he could get some more more spotlight
0: Zubak is a, is a has a special place in my heart for being a Laker and a Clipper like getting to see mm. him play for both in my time here
1: yeah that let's was a go. good trade for us
0: let's go traditional here for a bit who was in better old school LA Clipper Chris Kamen or Corey Maggette
1: well I got to go with my guy Corey Maggette um, because one he's hosted a few sales events for us so you know he's been very gracious with his time um, but number two like i told you i was a big clippers fan and i watched lots of cam and lots of mcgetti and he i was i remember being like that guy is so ripped and jacked that like I went to the gym because of Corey Maggetti. Like, I'm like, I want to be like that. Right. And, and, you know, on top of that, he was like an amazing basketball player. Right. So um, he's also kind of turned into, you know, a really good announcer. Um, and so I would, I would, I would say uh, I would say Corey Maggetti, even though I have nothing against Chris gaming.
0: Corey Maggetti is for the Clipper fans. He's the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, absolutely. We've got the season starting here. This, this episode will actually air the day before opening day. So, what do you think about some of the moves that the Clippers have made? Serge Ibaka is a huge pickup, I think, for us.
1: Yeah, I think you know. Look, I I think Lawrence Frank and Jerry West and, and Michael Winger and the team, like they they're they do an unbelievable job of making sure that we have the right team on the on the court. And you know maybe you know the Serge Ibaka signing and um, you know the Kennard uh, trade, like all that stuff. Like I, I think we're gonna we're gonna become a really complete team. Uh, this year um so i'm i'm excited i'm 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 excited for a short off season myself because i get to watch on tv but you know i'm sure the players have a different you know opinions on that but like i i can't wait for the season to start
0: someone told us your favorite genre of music is hardcore rap is that true that can't be true
1: <laughs> um, similar to my my why uh previously like Music has probably evolved in my in my life, right? Like I think there was a time where hardcore rap was was something that I was really drawn to. You know, I think um, as I've gotten a little softer in my in my age, that you know that you know I I, I mix in some Maroon Five.
0: Maroon Five shows some real growth and some real balance in your, <laughs> in your life. There, my dad tells these stories about being like this young salesperson in L.A., and he would listen to Ice tea to get like to get hyped up and and go. And uh, and I can only imagine those are similar, like car rides of just like wrapping your ass off, trying to get ready to go into a sales meeting.
1: Exactly, exactly. We all we all need our sales song, right? Like we all need that song that's gonna get us hyped and ready to go to go into a meeting, um, whatever kind of meeting that is. Like you know, if you don't have that, then you're you're missing out.
0: What's your what's your go to
1: sales song? So you know, this goes, back. this probably goes back to the hardcore rap piece. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I listened to, um, especially being back in LA now, you know, still Dre um, by, you know, obviously Dr. Dre. So that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a go-to.
0: So the one part of your career path that you don't have overlap with Jason Green is in Cleveland, where you went to go be the, the manager of inside sales at the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Correct. how jealous was Jason when you left him on your own to like fly away?
1: You know what? Like, I don't know if Jason was jealous that I left San Diego to go to Cleveland, you know, <laughs> like, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think Jason specifically would, um, would, would admire that, that, that journey. Right. Um, but I had never lived in the snow before. I, the cold didn't bother me. Like my interview was in January. It was, freezing and like i'm like all right let's do this right i like bought a jacket for my first time like like a real jacket like in cleveland like i didn't bring one because i do not have one and you know it was a really it was a really kind of crazy winter for me but you know after after that i'm like this, you know this ain't bad i like the snow like you know i i can do this
0: that's a perfect segue accidentally into our next question having spent most of your career in warm weather cities let's squash some beef right now who is the best weather overall san diego la or miami
1: well i mean my favorite city in the world is san diego and you know they like but you know it's weather wise like san diego is very on par with la it's you know it's pretty it's pretty similar that being said you know miami like the winter in miami you know let's call it November after Thanksgiving to through January best weather ever like it's just perfect like it's like you know how it gets cold here in, in Southern California like it, like like it'll be 70 here in the day but then it'll drop to like 40 at night like it's like 72 during the day and then like 68 at night in Miami and, and so it's just like creates this really cool cool vibe
0: and finally, last one, when your newborn son Camden is of age and listening to this episode, what lessons do you hope he takes out of your story?
1: Oh, now I'm getting into like fatherly, you know, advice, like giving, like I, you know, um, pulling at my heartstrings. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would hope that, you know, there's a there's a few things he takes away from it. One is, is perseverance and, and being able to, whether it be a tough career challenge, tough health situation, or a tough, um, tough life situation that you're able to, you know, um, kind of be gritty and get through it. Um, that, that would be the, that would, that would be the main thing. And, you know, as long as you continue to work hard, have a really positive attitude and, and, and listen and be coachable, like you're gonna, you're gonna get through a lot of things in life. So that would be the, that would be the main thought that, that I hope he, he takes away.
0: That's really cool, man. Joel, you're a tough dude and appreciate you reliving your story with us today. I I can't wait to share a real one in live in person in Staples Center sometime. So hopefully for a Lakers Clippers Western Conference Finals. That's kind of my dream. So really appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and talking clips with us.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brock. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beer is independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, and partners.